Welcome to Leveraging Leadership, where we unpack the art of business leadership. I'm your host, Emily Sander, C-suite executive turned leadership coach. And today we are talking about habits and motivation. So a small little topic, but we have a great guest to help us break that down. Brady Ross is joining us. And Brady is a fellow ICF certified coach. He is also the author of Seven Steps to Dominate Your Day and Crush Your Goals and the host of Motivation for Regular People podcast. He's a husband, father, and lover of goals and habits. Here's the conversation with Brady. All right, Brady Ross, how are you? How's your week going? It's it's good so far, Emily. Thanks for having me. How are you? Yeah. I'm doing I'm doing awesome. I just uh, I just got off my uh, my own coaching call, so I'm an ICF coach, as are you, and I have a team of coaches that I work with. So just got off a great great call with her. But uh, I think you said you were signing up for some sort of triathlon or half marathon or Ironman or some such thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I like you mentioned, I coach as well, and I signed a new client this past weekend and. I went to my wife and I said, hey, what do you think about me using the money from this client to sign up for this race that I've been wanting to do? And she said, yeah, that sounds great. And I was kind of surprised, honestly, but it's like, all right, so there's no excuses. I've got the money. I need to sign up and do this. So <laughs> it's still about four or five months away. But yeah, my first Olympic triathlon and wow. I'm really excited for it. I'm one of those weird people that enjoys putting myself in uncomfortable situations like that. And I'll say one of the things that has value for me, and maybe there's some overlap with this and with our topic, I find that when I have something to work towards, whether it's a race or some other deadline, I am more motivated to do the actions that I need to do. So just to give you an example with the triathlon, I have not rode my bike. So we're recording in May. I haven't rode my bike since February and I could ride it like it's there. There's nothing wrong with it, but I just hadn't done it. I sign up for the race on Saturday, Sunday morning, I get up and I go ride my bike and I ride it a pretty good distance all because there is now something to work towards. And there's some sort of call it accountability, call it pressure to perform. But yeah, it just moved the needle for me to the point where it's like, all right, I can do this now. Yeah. you got like a peg in the ground. You're working towards something. So all mm -hmm. your actions toward that. That's awesome. Exactly. Um, that's awesome. Yeah, it's so funny. You said, I got a new client, so congrats on that. And then I took the money to sign up for this long, arduous trial. <laughs> yeah, should I tell the client that? <laughs> um, but it's 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 in your wheelhouse, right? You're the motivation <laughs> guy, you're the habits guy. So of course you do that. But um, let's hear a little bit about you. So what made you so into habits and motivation, really breaking that down? What got you into mm -hmm. that? Yeah, it's kind of a funny story. So when I was 18 years old, like a lot of people, I had just graduated high school, I was starting college. And I was in this weird place in my life where I weighed almost 300 pounds. And I didn't think there was an issue. I thought, you know, I've always been a football fan. I was like an NFL offensive lineman weighs 300 pounds. Easy. So if I weigh close to 300 pounds, then I'm just like an NFL offensive lineman. Obviously, there's a lot of things that make me different both now and then from any NFL offensive lineman, but yeah, was very overweight, had a lot of bad habits in terms of, you know, eating lots of calories, um, eating at weird times of the day, like well into the night. And I just, I didn't really take great care of myself. And I think that that manifested itself into this place where I didn't feel like I had control of my situation in life. And so what I'll tell people is I used to think that if someone made better grades than me, they were just smarter than I was, or if they were better at sports, they just had more favorable genetics than I did. And 
I think that really what I was doing was I was trying to alleviate myself of any sort of responsibility from where I was in life. And it was kind of random how it all happened. I never had this rock bottom, like come to Jesus or come to Brady type moment. I just had some friends that were living in the same dorm as I was. They started going to the gym on a regular basis. And I thought, well, if that's something they're going to do, maybe that's something I should do as well. And so it was nothing major at first. It was maybe three or four times a week for about 30 minutes each time. But it turned into a habit, something that I was doing repeatedly. And after a while, I thought, well, if I'm going to be lifting weights, I should probably be eating better too. And it was funny how just those little things, those little changes eventually compounded themselves into this new mentality where I began to realize I have more control over my position and my trajectory in life than what I thought before. And obviously, this is kind of taking a 35,000 foot view, but it's been almost 12 years since that point in my life. I've lost 100 pounds. I've done multiple half marathons, multiple multi-sport races. Um, One thing I didn't mention was I went on academic probation my first semester in college, in part because I wasn't going to class, but also in part because like I (laughs) said before, yeah, going to class, that's, we support that. That's a good thing. Um, But again, I just had this mentality, like it doesn't matter how hard I work. It doesn't matter how hard I try. It's all just about, you know, natural giftedness or intelligence. And so I made, I think two D's my first semester in college. But as I began to adopt these better habits regarding my physical health, that manifested itself in other ways. And So my first semester, sophomore year for the first time in my life, I say first time in my life, like first time since I was in second or third grade, I made all A's and I, yeah, it's just amazing to think about how that one change helped me realize I have more control over my direction, over my trajectory than what I thought before. And then seeing all the different ways that it manifested itself, obviously starting with my physical health, but then over time expanding even beyond that as well. It's just really cool. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. And as you were saying, you know, going from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset is obviously much more empowering because you can do something about that. And then what struck me as you were telling that story is um, you had lost the weight and obviously have a new headspace now, but I don't sense a lot of angst or tension around, I must maintain this, or I have to keep this from sliding backward. It's, it's, there's an ease to it, or there's an enjoyment in, hey, I took this money and I'm signing, I'm voluntarily signing myself up for these races. So just a whole new perspective or approach. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's cool. I think about, so there's a book, you may have read it called the 5am club by Robin Sharma. And one of the core habits that he talks about in this book is taking care of yourself physically And he uses this example of a person who was not physically active, and then they start making regular exercise a habit, and they feel much better every day because we know that one of the benefits of exercise is not just how it impacts you physically, but it also gives you more focus, it improves your mood. And so he uses this example of this person who's doing that on a regular basis for the first time, and then they take a day off and they feel horrible not like guilty, horrible, but they just physically, they feel off, they feel sluggish. And he says, you realize on that day that you miss, that's how you used to feel all of the time before Uh, you started that habit. And so for me, that resonates because I've lived both ways. I've lived with that fixed mindset that you talked about, and then I've lived with that growth mindset. 
And it doesn't happen overnight. You have to build up that discipline over time. But I think for me and for a lot of other people, once you get to that point where you realize the benefits of living a disciplined life, it becomes much more attractive. It becomes much more rewarding to a point where you want to lean in and live that way on a regular basis. And then the last thing that I'll add there, I think it's Craig Groeschel that talks about how in every decision we have to choose our pain. It kind of goes along with this idea that inside every yes, there's an inherent no. But when you think about being disciplined, whether you choose to be disciplined or not, there's a cost with either option. If you choose to be disciplined, the cost is in the short term. Like if I'm going to, you know, this morning I got up early to go to the Y and swim because I've got this triathlon. So the cost there is my alarm goes off, have to get in the water and swim. It's really cold at first and then I'm exerting myself as I go. But the reward is in the long term. You know, I improve my condition. I get, you know, more prepared for this race. If I make the choice to not be disciplined, the reward is in the short term, but the cost is in the long term. So whatever decision you make to be disciplined or to not be disciplined, there's a cost that comes with that. I love that. Yeah. And 5 a.m. Club is actually one of my favorite books and something I recommend to leaders. And I think the tagline of the book is like, own your morning, elevate your life. Mm -hmm. And that's so true. I remember another quote that really struck me. It was, world class begins where comfort ends. And I was Mm, like, yes, that is true for sure. Um, So good. And so I'm I'm not a morning person, but when I do go work out, so this morning, for some reason, I just got up and did a home workout and you just feel so much better. So Mm. like lying in bed and thinking, oh, do I want to work out right now? No, but once I got into it and certainly when I finished, I was like, yes, like I'm ready for this day. I'm going to take this on. So absolutely. um, You really, really regret a workout. Yeah. And just to add one more thing there, you know, you get to start your day on your terms. For me, and I don't know if you have kids, but I bet some people listening do. I have a four-year-old and then a one-year-old who will turn two tomorrow. And if I just let my day start when they wake up, and I love them to death, don't get me wrong. (laughs) But if I wait to start my day until they get me up, I begin my day responding to their needs, which is part of being a parent. But if I get up early and invest in myself, whether it's through working out, whether it's through journaling, whether it's through meditation or prayer, I get to invest in myself and I just get so much energy and so much of a return from doing that that really improves the quality of the rest of my day. Yeah. And before we jump into the rest, I just love this stuff. A theme here is consistency, compounding, small wins add up faster than you think. So these little tiny things that aren't much by themselves done over time add up. So, I mean, it's, 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 uh, what was that? There's another quote, and I think it might be from 5am club or someone else, but it's sometimes all you need for exceptional results is average effort repeated on an above average amount of time. So just do the tiny things over and over and over again, and you'll, you'll get ahead. So, um, mm-hmm. love that notion as well. Okay. So before I get totally detra- distracted, uh, your book, is here. So seven steps to dominate your day and crush your goals. So do you want to take us through a high level overview of these steps just so we get a sense of them? Yeah, absolutely. So a little bit of background on the book. So I told my story a little bit before about realizing, you know, I've got more control over my life than what I thought before. I can practice these habits that may not seem like much in the moment, but over time they will compound into something great, something bigger than what I could have imagined. 
And so the book really just outlines seven things. I won't say that I do them every day. I'm far from perfect. I like to consider myself, you know, when it comes to motivation, goals, and habits, which are things that I'm really passionate about and that I think are really important. I like to consider myself a fellow learner alongside the people who read my book or listen to my podcast. But anyway, so the, the book is my reflection of the seven things that I do on a consistent basis that help me improve and grow and pursue my goals. And I don't think that any of these are original to me necessarily, which I mean, how much content is original to one person anyways. But my hope is that in talking about these things the way that I do and reflecting on how they've manifested themselves in my life will inspire people to see how they can implement them in their own way. So this is everything from planning your day, having a vision, which there's a little bit of an overlap with this and the kind of coaching that we do, right? You want to have an idea of what success looks like before you get started so that you know what you're aiming for. So it's planning your day. It's being intentional about choosing the right foods to eat. Um, And a lot of that plays on my past as well. You know, I used to just eat food because it tasted good and because it was convenient, but I realized that the food that I eat directly correlates with the amount of energy Mm -hmm. that I have, the amount of focus I can have. So there's a chapter in there about the foods that you eat. There's a chapter about continually learning and growing. There's a chapter about physical exercise, which is something that we've talked about. There's a chapter on connecting with other people and how that not only often gives, missed, often misstep. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's one that's probably a growing edge for me as well, both in my work and my personal life. But so important, you know, as human beings, we were not made to live in isolation. We were made to live in community. So there's those chapters as well. There's a chapter about rest, which is one, especially in today's <laughs> world, I think also gets overlooked. Um, Carrie Newhoff says that if we don't pick a finish line, our body will pick it for us. And often that results in burnout and things like that. So yeah, it's my reflection on the seven things that I try to practice on a consistent basis. And then each chapter has a few application questions that hopefully will help people see how they can take the concepts that I'm talking about and lock them in in their own life. Yeah, great. And one thing people should know about Brady's book is it's a quick read because he gets to the point and he distills really important things down very concisely. So anyone listening to this podcast knows that I like that kind of style of just get to the point. We're all busy um, and give me the good stuff. So I think you did an amazing job of packing a lot of punch into a short book. Um, yeah, I appreciate that. It was in Amazon's one hour self-help short reads category, their bestseller list for a while. And I took that as a compliment, not just that the content's helpful, but that you can get through it quickly. Absolutely. Yeah. It it deserves all of those accolades. So for the step one, which is plan your day, we won't go through all of these at length, of course, or read the book. But a quick thing there is um, I've, uh, I think it was from 5am club again, but they said, I do this in the shower. So when I'm in the shower, when I'm not distracted, no one can bother me in there. I go through my day mentally and I think through like my meetings and then the interactions I'm going to have with people after work and things like that. And I visualize them all going really well. So what's the best outcome and what? how could I connect with people and um, how could I make these win-win situations? All of these types of thoughts, I visualize them going well. So my whole day is like, oh my gosh, I'm looking forward to my day. Now, of course, they don't always go perfectly to plan, but I set that intention. So is that sort of uh, what you prescribe in your book? 
Yeah, I think that there's a lot of value in what we're talking about. The reality is so much of our perception of our reality of our situations is dictated by what we see. And there's research to show that what we see actually influences the way that we feel and then the way that we act. And so you can automatically, and I've done a little bit of training recently in this area, you can automatically change the way that you feel about situations and the way that you see things based on, or the way that you act upon things rather, based on the way that you see them and the way that you visualize them. And so for some people, visualizing something going well may sound like pop theology, but there's really so much power in it because you are locking your mindset into a particular outcome and then you are pursuing that. The opposite of that would be visualizing things not going well and then telling yourself not to do that, which is setting yourself up to failure because, yeah, you're telling yourself not to do something, but you're visualizing it going wrong. And it's just so much harder to avoid that outcome. Whereas if you visualize the positive, then there's a better chance of that outcome becoming a reality. So yeah, when I talk about planning the day, I really feel strongly that, you know, there are reactive people and there are responsive people. And so it can be very easy in today's world to just react to whatever demands other people are placing on you, whatever things may come up in a particular day. And if you do that, you never get a chance to work on what your most important goals are. So a better approach, in my opinion, is to be responsive and proactive and think really before the day starts, like what are the two or three most important things that I can accomplish tomorrow and how can I prioritize those? How can I give my best attention to those so that they get done? And now the hard thing with that is some of these things that come up that may appear urgent or maybe more urgent to someone else than they are to you, they're going to have to get put aside or they're going to have to get delayed. But do you want to work on someone else's top priorities or do you want to work on your own? And if you don't know your own, it's so easy to say, okay, well, this seems urgent and important and it fell in my inbox. So I'll tackle that. But if you know your top two, then you say, no, no, no. Does this go toward or away from my top two priorities? Mm. So I love and there's a little bit of, yeah. And there's a little bit of work that has to happen to determine those top priorities, right? Which again, we're both coaches, so we speak this language, but a lot of that has to do with defining your values, defining your purpose and your long-term goals and thinking just outside of the here and now and imagining, you know, what do I want my life to look like, whether it's six months, one year, five years down the road. And I mean, we can, I won't go down a rabbit hole, but the values piece is so important because that makes it strong because that can withstand a lot. So it's like, no, 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 you're, I'm, you're not going to forego something that's connected to a deep-seated value that you have. Um, whereas if it's something superficial or on the surface level, it could easily be knocked around. Mm -hmm. So love that. Love being uh, proactive about your day. And just a quick note for me, when I visualize those things, I like what you said about um, if you visualize the positive outcome, it will not be, it won't be a self-fulfilling prophecy into the negative space. Um, but it's also for me, when I get on that call, I visualized it and my brain almost goes, oh, I've been here before. I know how mm -hmm. this goes. It goes really well. And so I just lock into that whole whole train of thought. So mm -hmm. um, awesome. So step two is get active, which we've kind of talked about. Um, you and I, you're much more of an ultra fitness person than I am, but I go to the gym regularly and do yoga. Um, and I also walk. I get my steps in each day. But for people who don't need to be a fitness buff, they can just go out and, and walk or it doesn't have to be strenuous exercise, mm -hmm. does it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's almost unfair to have those metrics of success for 
sort of like a universal metric of success. And so what I mean is not everyone has to be a CrossFit athlete. You know, you could look at me and say, well, Brady's signed up for an Olympic triathlon. Like, you know, he's super fit. But then I look at people and I see, you know, them doing ultras or Ironman (laughs) or all of these different things. And so if, if your metric is to be the very best in that particular area, then you might always fall short of someone else. So that's important. I think the more important piece here is you have to think about how your physical health serves you and your most important goals, because I think that you could easily go overboard in this area. So take a look at me. You know, I'm married. I have two young children. I work, you know, providing for our family. If I made the choice to go to the gym for eight hours a day, I would be in awesome physical shape but I would be really (laughs) letting down some more important people and some more important projects in my life. And so you have to think about, and really this starts with, you know, we didn't plan for this to be a podcast on values, but that's a theme in everything. So maybe it's not a bad thing if we go there. You have to prioritize those things in order of their importance to you. So for me, I look at, you know, my faith being the most important thing, my family coming after that. And then fitness is probably two or three rungs down on the ladder. So it is important, but it's not so important that it supersedes some of these other things. And so to make this applicable for a wider audience, you know, if going for a walk 30 minutes a day, three times a week, if that enables you to show up well for your family, for your job, for your key relationships, then I think you're crushing that category. Not everybody is meant to be, you know a power lifter or an ultra marathon runner. The purpose of fitness, I think, is to one, put you in a better, you know, place of physical health so that you're not, you know, going to the doctor constantly or having to, yeah, just dealing with all of these physical concerns. But it's also about enriching the other important areas of your life. So I'm probably yeah. ranting at this point about that, but hopefully something there is No, connected. I mean, I love it. So that's fine. <laughs> I keep going. But I think another point too is I work with a lot of clients who um, life evolves, right? So your values change or your priorities change. So for instance, if you have young kids, okay, they graduate now and oh my goodness, I have all this time. What fills that priority or what kind of moves around? So be open to these things uh, changing. I know in my life, in early in my career, I was very career driven and decisions were very easy because that was the number one. It's like, okay, all these things get put to second or third. And now it's much more about relationships and connections and meaningful work and the type of projects I take on and those types of things. So um, I think values is a good thing to check in about and say, okay, what are my values or what are they today? And they might've changed or shifted slightly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it's good to realize that those things are fluid. You know, I think about myself 10 years ago, you know, obviously my kids weren't a value yet because they weren't born. My marriage (laughs) wasn't a value because I wasn't married yet. And those things, you know, because of changes in your life circumstances or even just the way that you see the world, they're going to evolve over time. And that's okay. Yeah, that's that's good to evolve with it. Um, All right. Step three, learn something, which I love because I'm a lifelong learner. And I think people who um, I love when in your book when you said it's your brain is a muscle. So it's like working out any other muscle. If you let it go stale, then uh, it atrophies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I had a conversation with someone today about the same metaphor with the muscle, you know, the brain being a muscle. So when you work out a muscle doesn't always feel comfortable, but that's the point. You're tearing the muscle down so that it will go back stronger. I think that 
what keeps people from practicing either this step or maybe even some of the other steps. They don't do it because it feels uncomfortable and they think that it's not right. In a lot of ways, our brains are geared towards minimizing discomfort and some discomfort should be minimized. You know, that's a survival mechanism in our brain to where if we feel fear because we're in a dangerous situation, we will walk away from that situation and we'll bring ourselves to safety. But there's also some discomfort that is beneficial, whether that is through working out or in this situation, reading a book that makes you think, makes you ask questions. I mean, when we learn, our brains are literally like forming new pathways inside our head. That's how new thoughts, that's how new ideas form. And so it's not always going to feel like you're, you know, laying on a beach relaxing. Like there's there's calories that are being burned here. There's work <laughs> that is being done. And so my encouragement to someone would be, yeah, you don't have to spend, you know, three, four hours each day in a book or watching an online course. If that's what you're doing, either for school or just because you love to learn, like, yeah, that's great. But I would also encourage people don't quit just because it feels awkward, feels unnatural, feels challenging. That's not a bad thing. On the other hand, it might actually be a sign that what you're doing is working and it won't always be that way. You know, again, like any other muscle, you will build greater endurance over time. You'll have increased stamina. But if you're reading for the first time or if you're listening to content that makes you think and grow for the first time, it's probably not going to be comfortable. And that's okay. Yeah, and I think it's it relates to like if I were to try to run a marathon tomorrow, I will have no training for that, so I'm going to break myself. Whereas someone like you might be more comfortable running a half marathon right out the gate. So it it's from where you're starting and just making sure you make progress. Um, mm -hmm. There's that I don't know if you know the movie A League of Their Own, that old one with I've Tom heard Hanks. of it. I haven't watched yeah, it. I'm a big baseball a, fan, so I need to. You should. It's a great movie. But there's a great line. It's one of my favorite movie quotes of all time where uh, Tom Hanks plays this baseball coach, Jimmy Dugan, and Gina Davis is this like star player. And she, her husband comes back from World War II and they're going to go off and she's going to quit baseball. And she says, it just, it just got too hard. And Jimmy Dugan, uh, her coach, says it's supposed to be hard. If it was, if it wasn't hard, everyone would do it. And I love that mm -hmm. line. Um, it made me think. It's a good of that. reminder. Yeah, but anyway, that's a sneak peek into the first three steps. So if you want to get the full download on the others, uh, pick up Brady's book. But Brady, if we zoom out a little bit and talk about motivation in general, mm -hmm. I can kind of think of people who are in two camps. One is. I kind of know what I need to do or want to do, but I just, I don't feel like doing it. I don't have the motivation to go, ugh, like go start and do it. Mm -hmm. And then other people who maybe have the motivation are inspired to do it, but they have trouble sticking to a plan or building habits or they don't reach their goal for some reason. So um, break that down for us a little bit. Maybe start with the first one for someone who doesn't have that initial inertia or that sense of like, let, yes, let me start this. What would you, what would you say mm -hmm. to that person? Yeah. So what I've learned about motivation and what spurred these thoughts for me about motivation was actually working on the book. I shared it with a friend and he gave me this piece of feedback. He said, I don't struggle with knowing what to do. I struggle with feeling the motivation to do it. And I think that a lot of people can resonate with that. So what I've learned are two big things. One, we all have the same amount of intrinsic motivation because motivation plays a role in every decision that we make. The decision to get out of bed in the morning requires motivation in the same way that hitting snooze on your alarm 
five or six times requires motivation. It's a question of how does that motivation serve you? What are you benefiting from by making that decision? So we all have the same amount of motivation. We just use it differently. The other big lesson that I've learned is that oftentimes we make decisions not because we feel 100% motivated to make that decision or or to take that action, but we feel a majority motivation toward a certain goal or a certain outcome. So for example, when I first started thinking about motivation and people are going to listen to this show and think, wow, he really doesn't like his children. Um, That's not (laughs) true. I love my kids so much, but being a parent, as anyone who's done it knows, is very challenging. And so I realized I get to this point at the end of the day where I've worked all day, I'm tired, and I have this decision. Do I lay on the couch, watch a game, flip through my phone, or do I get up, play with my children, talk with them, engage with them? And the truth is I feel motivated to both of those tasks because they both serve me in a different way. Like we talked about earlier, they both have a cost, but they also both have a reward. And so I have to recognize I feel different amounts of motivation to both of these ends, but which one do I feel more motivated to pursue in the moment? That's going to be the decision that I ultimately make. So here's the cool thing with that. Even just having that awareness, I think tips the scales in your favor. Being able to say, I feel motivated to do this, but I also feel motivated to do this gives you knowledge to make a more informed decision. And then to take the next step forward, it's good to remember you don't have to completely tip the scales to where it's 100% to do whatever task it is that you want to do. You just have to make it a little more attractive than the other outcome so that you feel that that last little push to do whatever it is. So just to share what works for me, and maybe this is more of an accountability piece, I find that if I tell someone else I'm going to do something, that increases my motivation big time. So if I have a goal, we've talked a lot about fitness in this episode, and I think that these concepts apply to other things outside of fitness. But let's say that I want to do a training run that's at least seven miles. If I go out on my own and attempt to run seven miles, I might do it. I might not. We'll see how I feel as the run goes on. But if I text a friend and I say, hey, I'm about to go run seven miles, all of a sudden the motivation is greater because if I don't want to lie to my friend, I either have to go back and say, yeah, I ran the seven miles or no, I didn't run the seven miles and here's why. So there's a little bit of not just accountability, but also social pressure there. And there's other ways that you can do it as well. You can use rewards to increase that motivation. You can do habit stacking is a popular one where you take something that you want to do and combine it with something that you need to do. I coached a guy one time who wanted to play a video game at the end of the day, but also had these tasks around the house that he needed to do. And so he made a deal with himself that he wasn't going to let himself play his video game until he got one of the tasks on his list done. And so there's a reward at the end of that. But yeah, I think those are the two big ideas. We all have the same amount of motivation. We just use it differently. And when you choose to do something, it's not because you feel 100% motivation. It's just because you feel majority motivation toward that specific end. Where do you come down on, oh, I feel like doing this versus uh, I just have the strong intention to do it? I've I've heard a number of different perspectives with pros and cons, but I'm wondering where you come down on that. Hmm. Yeah, so... I'll think out loud a little bit here. So I think that partially depends on how you define the words. So when I think about 
something that I feel like doing. I think that there's some sort of desire there. You know, I feel like going to the kitchen and getting an Oreo to eat. <laughs> you know, there's there's a desire there. I intend to get up early in the morning and go work out. To me, the connotation there is more not necessarily I have a desire to do this, but I know that this is important and it's something that I need to do. Would that be a fair assessment? Yeah, I think so. I mean, for me, I think a lot of people use like when they say, Emily, I just don't feel like doing it. It's, it's like in the things you just mentioned, it's uncomfortable to get up when you don't feel like getting up in the morning. Yet they have a goal and desire and intention to become more fit or something like that. So mm. how do you, it's the classic thing, you know, I know what I'm supposed to do. I just don't do it. And it's, it's largely because I don't feel like doing it in that moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, hard, it's challenging. And I think that in those situations, you take those steps to lock it in to make it easier. And what got me working, and I haven't perfected this yet, and maybe I never will, because it's a big topic. But just thinking about this motivation piece, like if we can figure out how to adjust the way we think or prime our environment so that we feel more like doing those things that we know that we need to do. At that point, anything becomes possible. And my hope is that it's not just all pure grit, pure effort, pure willpower, because that's going to wax and wane throughout our days and throughout our lives. Someday you're going to feel an amount of willpower to where you just feel unstoppable, like you can tackle any task that comes your way. And then there's going to be days where, you know, you're tired, you're not in the best frame of mind, you've got other concerns to address, and that willpower piece is not going to be there. And you can either just sit and sulk because you don't feel like doing those things, or you can take a more proactive approach and adjust your environment, adjust your perspective, bring in these other tools and these tactics that can help you lock in that good behavior. I like that. I think it's, to me, it's almost uh, evolution or transition you make. So at the beginning, you're building something new, you are probably exerting, maybe you have a lot of inspiration at the beginning. So I don't know, like in our fitness mm. example, since we seem to be on that, <laughs> you look at, you know, pictures of fit people or whatever, or listen to a song to get inspired and motivated. And that'll get you through the first like week or two of this new habit. But then you do have to start building the environments and locking in the, the habits. Um, and you can't always exert willpower because that's a finite mm -hmm. resource. And so eventually you have to lock it into a habit where, oh, like, did you brush your teeth today? Did you put your seatbelt on today? Well, yeah. How much effort did that take you? Probably not a lot. How much willpower did you have to exert? Probably not a lot because you have locked it into a habit. So getting it into the habit zone or whatever we want to call it makes it so you don't have to exert so much of that. But anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm, and here's I'm, one of the, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to say, here's one of the cool things that happens there too. So I won't use a fitness example for this one. Let's talk about reading. Let's say that someone knows that reading would be good for them on a regular basis, but they don't read because every time they do, they feel drowsy or they get bored. And so those preconceived notions keep them from adopting that good habit. But let's say that they decide to give it a try. They commit to reading. They find a book on a topic that they're going to enjoy. And all of a sudden they realize, oh, I enjoy this more than I thought that I would. And so whereas before the preconceived notion was if I read, I'm going to get bored, I'm going to feel drowsy, that habit loop changes to where they realize if I read, I'm going to learn something new and I'm going to be entertained. That's going to have to be repeated before that new habit gets locked in. But it is possible to change those feedback loops. 
you know, the science of neuroplasticity teaches us that we're not locked into our same thought patterns or the same ways that we've always seen the world. We have the power to change those things. I really like that example because in that example of reading, I don't know, maybe you want to read a very academic, uh, dry book, and maybe it's starting with, hey, let me get in the habit of reading, so let me read something fun when I'm refreshed and energized, and maybe I go do something afterwards. So you kind of build that habit in, and then you move on to uh, whatever academic book. That's just, I don't know, that's off the top of my head, but I like no, that, that's good. Uh, I like setting, that. setting it up for yourself. So you don't go right into like, yep, self-fulfilling prophecy. I hate reading. This was boring, and now I'm uh, now my brain hurts. Mm-hmm. So um, okay. And then for the people who are super motivated and have a lot of inspiration at the moment, and they just kind of can't quite get to their goal, what would you say to that person? Yeah. So you're talking about the person that maybe they have motivation, they know what they want to do, but they lack that structure. They lack that intentionality to get exactly. from Exactly. They're raw, raw, raw. They're like, Brady, like, tell me what to do. Like, put me in coach. I'm ready to go. But they can't mm-hmm. quite stick to it or get there. Yeah. So I think that's where, again, that accountability piece comes in. Obviously, I'm going to be a proponent for coaching. I think that everyone can benefit from coaching. But, you know, I've worked especially lately with a lot of clients who know what they want to do. Like they know five years down the road, this is what I want my life to look like. But what they lack is that plan to help them get from A to B. And I find that it's much easier to do that when you build in that discipline of, speaking with someone, you know, getting your plans, you know, either out loud verbally or written down somewhere, and then having check-ins with that person to keep you on track. Again, we were not made to live in isolation. We as Americans tend to have that more individualistic mindset, but elsewhere in the world, like people are a lot more community driven. And we obviously are community driven to an extent in America as well. But I think that we have to remember like asking for help from other people is not a sign of weakness. That is just something that as human beings is, I would say, expected of us. I've got a friend that always says, if you want to run fast, run alone. But if you want to run far, run with someone else. Mm -hmm. And so I think that community is a huge piece there. I also think that if you have a lot of motivation, obviously you're in a good place to start on something you have to be careful to make sure that you are building something that is consistent and sustainable. So let's say, you know, I'm working on my second book right now. And what I'm wrestling with is a plan for regular constant activity that will not be something that like waxes and wanes over time. And so a bad approach would be to say, I'm going to write 20,000 words in the next two weeks. That's not sustainable. That's going to burn me out. I I might get close to that, but I'm going to be so tired and so frustrated from that process that I probably won't pick it up for three months. What is something that I can do repeatedly and build momentum and continue to put in that regular effort and that regular like progress? So maybe that's a chapter a week. Maybe that's 100, 200 words a day. I think that people in general grossly overestimate what they can do in the short term while grossly underestimating what they can do in a long in the long term. If you read 500 pages in one day, that's the same as reading 50 pages in 10 days or 25 pages in 20 days. But which one of those is more sustainable for most people? Probably doing a little bit each day and then seeing what that adds up into over time. 
Yeah, that's far more appealing when you just said that. <laughs> and I think, you know, as coaches, we don't, it's, it's not even about providing accountability. Yes, there's that. But it's also, I find I'll get in my own head and I'll get in my own way. And so just having someone have a fresh idea where I've been thinking in a circle about something and my coach makes one comment, it's like, oh, that opens up a whole new perspective or a whole new mm -hmm. approach to that. Um, also, you know, sometimes we're our own worst critics. And so we see things through a certain lens and it's just a reminder, hey, you are doing these things well, or maybe you didn't do it perfectly, but you are doing these things. And and my goodness, like you're writing a, your second book. And so not everyone does that. So keeping those those things in mind too is, is a coach. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the reality um, is you imagine people use the analogy of like missing the forest for the trees. Most of us, we are so close to our own life. It's as if we're staring directly into the trunk <laughs> of that tree. And we need people to come alongside us and remind us of our surroundings, remind us of the forest, help us see those Zoom things out. that we are so often blind to. Yeah, love it. What are you just out of curiosity? What are your like top three favorite coaching questions? Oh, I heard one in training that I love. It is what is big enough to make a difference, but small enough to be manageable. And I was like, Ooh. that's such a good, and I probably phrased it poorly, but yeah, just this idea of like, what's a step that is big enough to make an impact, but small enough to be doable. Um, what could change about you that would change your situation? I feel like that helps us coach the person and not the problem. And then, oh, I want to cheat. I wrote an article on this one a while back. I won't <laughs> go, go take the time to dig it up right now. Maybe I'll send it to you later. Um, but I just love, and this is more of a beginning of the conversation question, but I just love asking people, you know, what they want something to look like six months, one year, five years down the road. Because I feel like it's so easy to get locked into the here and now, the short term. But when you look towards the long term, you're able to better see what people really want. And then you can help them get there by working backwards and creating those steps. Yeah. You have to define like what done or what successful looks like to you. Mm -hmm. So awesome. And then one thing that I loved in your book is when you, you reference some books throughout your book. And then at the end, you have a list of these books and also the uh, chapter that you refer to, which I've never seen, which is super helpful. Um, but uh, that's in Brady's book. But then are there some other books that maybe in the past month you've read and are like, oh, yeah, people should check this out because you seem to read a lot. Yeah, I've been slacking on my reading lately, to be honest with you. I've been on a big Patrick Lencioni kick this year. So like six types of I just of got one genius. of his books. I oh, just awesome. got that. I just I just ordered that from Amazon. Oh, that is it's so, so good. I was literally on a coaching session today working someone through Working Genius. And I was like, I think wow. these are your two geniuses. So wow. that one's incredibly valuable. I read Seven Habits of Highly Effective People for the first time this year. Put that one off for a long time. Should have read it a lot sooner, but it was fantastic regardless of when I read it. And then one of the books that I've read recently that I really enjoyed was called Happier Hour by Cassie Holmes. I read a lot about being more productive and getting things done. But this and this was in a similar realm, but it was more not necessarily about getting things done, but about enjoying the time that we have as we use it in the most fruitful ways. Wow. So that was a good one as well. What was that one again? Who was that? So it's called Happier Hour by Cassie Holmes. She's oh, okay. a PhD. She teaches at UCLA. I'm going to have to check that one out. That sounds amazing. Yeah, so good. Awesome. All right, Brady, thank you so much for sharing your story and, and sharing a little bit about your book. If people like what they hear, where can they find you and where can they find your book? 
Yeah. So I've got a website, bradyross.com. You can learn more about my book there. You can sign up for my midweek momentum newsletter. I also have a podcast called Motivation for Regular People. Emily's going to be on it um, in a couple months. And we put out new episodes every Thursday and then we do some bonus content as well. So those are all great ways to just engage more with some of the content that I'm putting out. And then you can also contact me through my website and I'm on LinkedIn too. I'm on all the social media accounts, even though I should probably spend less time on them than I do. (laughs) But yeah, you can find me Instagram, Twitter, all that. Awesome. And we will have all those links that Brady mentioned in the show notes. So please go check them out. Brady, thank you once again. It was a pleasure having you on. Yes. Thank you, Emily. I appreciate it. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like, share and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.